You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas This Week podcast. You're listening to episode Big 200. What's going on, Mark? And it's Jake's last episode. Damn. We, I tell you what, Jake, we've got a bunch of people that kind of upset that you're leaving, but we got some, some good questions. This is the first Friday Q&A, and we just launched our newest show, The Pitch Podcast. So if you're listening to this and you want to get your company's thingamajig or process or tool or whatever that you're trying to sell on a show and actually pitch it, we've set up a show just for that. So reach out to me, and I'll be happy to make that connection. This will be an interesting show. So Warren is a really top-end salesperson with a sense of humor, Jake, and he has a bullshit button. So when, the, when somebody's trying to pitch something that he thinks is not true, he's going to call bullshit and hit the bullshit button. That's awesome. What are they going to be pitching? Anything. So, And I'm sure y'all have this too. So what happened is for years, companies try to buy the way on the shows. Hey, we want to talk about our new process or a new tool or whatever. And we don't let them do that, right? Because it's just too salesy. And eventually he said, why don't we just set up a show just for that? And so we're being very open. This is the pitch podcast where you're allowed to come on and pitch your, whatever your company's trying to sell. It should be fun. Yeah, it'll be a good time. And speaking of fun, we got some reviews. Great perspective on the industry. Love both Mark and Jake's view on the industry trends and advice for future operators and ONG pros. The comment about bring your kids to work and see how that would improve your processes with modern tech platforms and tools is very interesting. I wonder how much money could be saved with this approach. Also love the ONG tech podcasters stay on top of these trends and improve it. Keep up the great content, guys. And that's from Smiley22 from the US. And then I start my business week off with this podcast as is both informative and intimate. I'm not sure if we're intimate, Jake. <laughs> Mark and Jake are like a couple of old trusted friends bringing not just the news, but wisdom to the day's stories. Tune in if you want to know more about the industry. That's from Sean McCoy, who I actually know. So thanks, Sean, for the review. But if you want to be like Sean and S. Smiley 22 from the United States and get a shout out on the show, just leave us a review. Leave us a five-star review if you love what we're doing. If you don't love what we're doing, leave us a one-star. Tell us what we need to change. Then before we get to the questions, Jake, we had somebody tweet something that I just had to throw in the show notes. <laughs> People want us on the ticket, huh? 2020. Yeah. So it's LaCour Corley on the 2020 ticket. Somebody tweeted this as far as running for president. And then the funny thing is, had somebody reply and said, it's two Marines. Do you really want two Marines being the president, the vice president? And then somebody else replied back saying, well, maybe we need somebody from the Navy, a speaker of the House, to keep them in check. So it was actually really funny. But Jake and I don't have any plans to enter politics, at least not yet. Yeah, not definitely for the foreseen future. <laughs> All right, guys, you know how this goes. This is the first Friday Q&A. So you guys ask questions. We try to answer them. Mark requested that you guys try to stump me this week, so we'll see what is in store. <laughs> I think people realize this, but historically, I've always sight-read these. So whenever I read them on the air is the pretty much the first time that I read these questions. And so it's all off the top of the dome, so we'll see what we can come up with. So first question is from Shelly Long, petroleum engineer. She writes, love the show, guys. In the crazy low crude price market, what do you think about a national tax or tariff on imported oil? And I'm going to miss you, Jake. I'm going to miss you, Shelly. Like you know her. <laughs> Maybe you do. I don't know. So I've seen this floated around a lot. And the idea on the surface sounds like a good idea. The problem is in execution. So if you think about who buys most of the crude here in the US, it's the refineries, it's downstream petrochemicals. And so what happened if you added a tariff is you would then increase the cost of our own refineries buying that crude, which would then be passed on to the customers, so to you and me. So the idea on the surface is great. If you could somehow make Saudi Arabia and Russia pay that tariff, that would probably work 
decently. But as of today, and today's Saturday, Jake and I are recording. Did you see where we are, Jake? OPEC, the U.S. and Russia came to agreement and Mexico is holding out. Like, what's going on in Mexico? Who let you be part of this party? It was the first time that Mexico ever took a stance against a cartel. Which is historically <laughs> funny because they're run by cartels. And please don't hate mail from Mexico. I know things are getting better there, but it used to be really bad. Yeah, what do you think about an import tariff on oil, Jake? I agree with you. I have to agree with you more. I think it would be probably not the greatest idea. It was something I kind of explored a little bit. And it was funny. I was talking to a buddy who works at the Department of Energy. If you're listening, shout out to you. I'll keep you anonymous. And he was asking for some different ideas on how we could get Russia and Saudi to the table. We've just been talking about this entire environment probably over the past few weeks, almost you know daily or every other day, just spitballing ideas. And I spitballed the idea of you know what if we you know, since we're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars of stimulus, like money kind of goes out the window. And so it's like really, you know, what could we really do? And so I didn't do any research. I didn't really know if this was going to be a good idea or not, but I spitballed it. And I was like, what if we started retrofitting our refineries to process more of our domestic crude? And I think you and I talked about this offline. Well, that was one of like many ideas. And he took that idea and he ran it up and apparently that made it into the meeting with the president and all of the the heads of Exxon and Chevron and Hill Corp and Oxy That's awesome, and Jake. And Darren Woods, the CEO of Exxon, swiftly shut it down and said it was a terrible idea. <laughs> well, you know why? <laughs> and, said it, and said it would cost way too much money. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were talking about trillions of dollars here. I didn't think that would be the reason. So that's awesome that it made that far. And, and it is a good idea. But the reason the super majors are killing, the super majors don't want everybody to come to an agreement, which you would think is the opposite. Like they're hurting too. But if you look at what's going on, and you know, if you look at who's lobbying against us coming agreement, it's actually the API, the American Petroleum Institute. And they're the ones that are propped up by all the super majors. And remember a while back, Jake, I talked about what if the super majors were looking at this as an opportunity? Wouldn't it be to their benefit for things to get so bad that you could pick up acreage and companies for pennies on the dollar? And I, like it was a conspiracy theory. And I was yeah. kind of joking, but well, they're fighting against this agreement. And so, you know, my conspiracy theory that it started off as a joke. Now I'm starting to be a little concerned that the largest, you know, oil and gas combined companies here in the U.S. don't want us to come to agreement. And, you know, there's something there. And it doesn't matter. We've looked at, we've come to agreement except for Mexico. And then, you know, if Mexico holds out for too long, let's just go take them over. <laughs> it would take 20 minutes to get the agreement done that we can give them their country back. And once again, no hate mail. I'm not being serious about taking over Mexico. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the question, Shelly. Next one's from an anonymous director at a large service company. We just laid off and or furloughed almost our entire Texas workforce, and it breaks my heart. These are hardworking men and women that did nothing wrong. What can we do as an industry to stop these brutal cycles? Also, Jake, I went to the Digital Wildcatters website and also use an email list. Sign up on the page. Am I missing something? Keep up the amazing work. Yeah, that was a bug we fixed the other day. So if you go back and check, it'll be fixed. What can we do as an industry to stop these cycles, I've had this conversation a lot and I don't necessarily know how we stop the cycles. You know, I've more so focused on the effects that the cycles have and the effects that the cycles are going to have on our workforce in the future, particularly younger talent. It's very, very hard. You know, if somebody comes to me and they're really looking to me for advice on a career path and they're looking at studying engineering or something, you know, there's two sides of it. There's, you know, if so many people leave, eventually those jobs will be in demand again. But at the same time, it's think about how many people who have degrees and have tons of experience that are completely just out of work right now and kind of just out of luck. You know, this is a major contraction of the industry and I think it's absolutely needed. I think we've became a little bit too bloated and I think that's part of it. But 
I honestly don't know how we stop the cycles. Mark, do you have any input on that? So this whole the U.S. and Russia and Saudi Arabia agreeing on stuff is something I never envisioned. I never thought about, never popped in my head, never. And now that I've seen that's happening, it's starting me thinking. So if us three, which are the biggest producers in the world, can agree on production numbers, is there other stuff that we can agree upon? Because if we agree upon everything and we work together, we won't have these cycles anymore. When the market starts to get oversupplied, everybody takes their foot off the gas. When the economy is booming and there's more demand, we all step on the gas. So I'm kind of hopeful that we'll end up working together, which it just seems weird to me. I feel almost like I'm in like the Star Trek future where the world's a utopia and all the governments get along. But I would really like to see us get there. So that's really one of the few things that I could think of that would stop these cycles. If the three largest producers in the world can agree upon production numbers every year, we can kind of level this thing out. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think there's so many ideas that are kind of being flown around and it's all speculative. Nobody really knows what's going to work. It's interesting to see, and I'm sure we might have some questions around it, but we can talk about it now too. From what I've seen, everybody's agreeing to, I think it was 11 million barrel per day production cut. I think you're right. And what we really need is about 20 million plus. Yep. So I'm sure a lot of you have realized it. I've had some people reach out and say, where can I sell my crew? Because nobody's willing to take it. And so storage is full. People are storing in pipelines. So whenever they do agree to the production cuts, for one, all of the crew that is stuck in storage is going to have to be depleted first. And so it's going to take a while before we actually see the the effects of the production cut. And then my question is, is it really going to be enough? You know, Is it enough to get us to to where we need to be? And my, my gut kind of tells me it's not. I think it's going to get us... In that 30 to 40 range, which is better than, you know, better than where we're at now. But for various reasons, I don't think we're at the bottom yet. And I think we could very well see sub $15 WTI. That's not what I want, but that's just kind of being a realist. Yeah. If it comes down to them not agreeing to cut production versus the, you know, 11 million barrels per day production cut, then yeah, 11 million barrels is, is great, you know, compared to nothing, but I still don't think it's enough. Well, it's not what the bigger issue is we need to increase consumption. You're absolutely right. You got storage is maxed out. You know what's interesting about storage? You know who's one of the first people started renting very large crew carriers to restore oil at sea? It was Saudi Arabia, which makes me think some of this was planned, you know, but you can't rent a, a super tanker anymore. They're all full. So there's literally hundreds of metric tons of crude sit in storage in the ocean, wait for price to go up. And it's one thing when Russia or Saudi Arabia or Brazil or Pemex or one of the national oil company does it because then you can kind of see the numbers. The problem with me is there's all this storage by speculators, investors, other nationalized oil companies that don't report the numbers. And so those are the ones that are going to trickle oil back on the market because the cost of storage is going up. They want to get it back on the market as quick as possible so they don't end up being upside down in their investment, which is what a lot of this is. And so to your point, even if we make cuts and less consumption goes up, they're going to dump this oil back in the market and the prices are going to stay low until the storage runs out. So let's see where it goes. But we really need the world to get out of this COVID-19 lockdown and start driving and start buying soccer balls and start buying lipstick and start flying so we can get consumption back up. That's the bigger impact to the industry is the lack of consumption. Yeah, I think it's going to fundamentally, I've had a lot of talks about this with people and how it's going to fundamentally change our lives moving forward. Like you and I were talking about before we get on the mic, it's going to be a different world. I think people are going to be a lot more cautious, which makes me kind of wonder about how is this going to affect companies such as you know, Uber long-term? Are people going to want to be getting in cars with strangers still? How is it going to affect companies like Airbnb? Are they going to be staying at you know strangers' houses? I would very much like to see the world get back to normal, but I'm curious to see how the rest of the nation in particular is going to react to this. So I think a lot of people from what I've seen firsthand is a lot of older people 
so older meaning in my my opinion people are twice my age so 60 plus have adapted to working remotely and i think a lot of people especially entrepreneurs have realized that they're probably more productive because they're recouping you know maybe an hour two hours of travel time and they're able to take calls just all day you can take normal calls you can take zoom calls you can do whatever it seems to be very eye-opening for a lot of people. And so it makes me wonder, like, are we ever going to get back to as many people on the roads, which for consumption purposes is not the greatest, but for Houston traffic with me commuting is kind of great. <laughs> you know, it's been very wonderful for me to drive into the office the past few days and literally not have to stop like the entire time. <laughs> That's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it's definitely going to change our culture. I've been through some major things in the world, 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, all that stuff. And every single time you have a huge natural catastrophe like that, which is what this is looking like, it changes our culture a little bit. So just like you, I'm very interested to see what's going to stick and what's not going to stick. All right, guys. Next question is from Ray who goes by Trey, outside sales. He writes, thanks for the great podcast, really helping me with my knowledge of our industry. I would like to recommend a book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels by Alex Epstein as another resource to show some of the good our industry is responsible for. There are things that Alex discusses that I never thought of being attributed to the oil and gas industry. Just food for thought. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for the great listening experiences. Keep the good work and pay it forward. Cool. Not really a question, yeah. but hey, really appreciate it, Trey. Yeah. So I know Alex. Him and I agree on almost everything. There's a couple of things that we don't agree upon, but he was one of the front runners. One of my favorite things about Alex Jake is he'll put on a I Love Fossil Fuel shirt and he goes to all the anti oil and gas protests. <laughs> He's just, he's messing with them, but they don't know he's messing with them. So it's hilarious. Yeah. His book is really good. If you haven't read his book, you need to go buy it and read. It. It's a really good book, but, but yeah, we know Alex and we know his book. So, you know, thanks Ray. Next question is from Carl who's a copywriter. He writes, Hey Mark and Jake, love the show. I'm a writer producing content for energy companies and companies in the sectors, which are sensitive to the economic impacts of changes in the energy market. I listen to stay informed. I'm curious to understand the impact of very low prices on us shale production. A lot of the press is reporting that this is a Russian attempt to harm the U.S. shale industry. But is that practical, assuming what, that what is going on? If shale producers mothball wells now while prices are low, does that take out those wells out of long-term use? Or can they, or new owners in the industry, consolidate again, simply bring those wells back online when prices rise again? Greetings from Scotland. Yeah, in short, without getting too technical, yes, you can turn wells off and you can turn them back on depending on the formation, depending on where they're located geographically, and depending on a few other factors, lift, variety of things, where the, where the, the well is at in the life cycle. It's not necessarily as cut and dry as just flipping a switch, but yes, you can turn these wells back on with relatively minimal effort. Yeah. And to answer your question, Carl, this is not an attempt for Russia to kill the shale industry. Even if they did, the hydrocarbons are still there. You can't bankrupt rock and our infrastructure is still there. Those two things together means that somewhere down the road, when prices came back, somebody would get some capital and start producing again. This is basically a sales argument between Russia and Saudi Arabia that now we're drawn into. And honestly, we probably should have been drawing this a while ago. You know, Part of the problem is the nationalized oil companies like Russia and Saudi Arabia can control production. They can turn it up and they can turn it down. It's not like that in the U.S. Most of the production is done by individual producers. A lot of them are very small. And sometimes their response to low crude market is to produce more oil, right? So they can make the same amount of money. So this wasn't an attempt for Russia to do anything other than get Saudi to the negotiating table, which it did. Actually got us all to the negotiating table, Mexico. Mexico, <laughs> Come on, Mexico. Who would have, who would have thought that? All right. The next question is from Dylan, who's a student. 
He writes that last summer, about 15 students, engineers, geologists, finance majors, were hired full-time by Apache to start working January and May 2020. Apache has not been transparent with us ever since they announced their reorganization. For example, the January hires were not told that their start dates were pushed back to May until about two weeks out of their January start date. Prior to that, there was no communication whatsoever. Just yesterday, they called us to inform us that all the offers were rescinded. We are all pretty much demoralized right now. With that said, I'm wondering if that is how a lot of oil and gas companies operate or is this just Apache? Oof. That is rough. I didn't know we were roasting Apache today, but... No, this is legit stuff. So Dylan, first thing, my apologies. No matter what's going on at Apache, this is not the right way to do business. So my apologies as an industry to you and your friends. I don't want to say this is just Apache, but this is an isolated case. I've talked to a lot of companies that have had to rescind offers to interns, and they were very proactive about it. You know, this is not a good time for companies to be spending money. And so sometimes this sort of stuff happens. Y'all just timed it wrong. It's not your fault at all. But I cannot believe that Apache treat you like this. So my apologies, but this is not typical of the oil and gas industry. Yeah. I think it's one of those times where, you know, it's extremely unfortunate of what's going on in the industry right now. And so I think things like that, I would imagine are probably not as top of mind as they were before. It's definitely not an excuse to completely, you know, essentially screw over, you know, however many people that was, you know, 15 different students. So yeah, I would say it's not very typical. I would say that's a very unfortunate situation. I'm a Sorry that happened to you guys, but Apache, shame on you. Get your shit together. Yep. Next question is from Douglas, who's in corporate finance. He writes, hey, Mark and Jake, I know you are too young to remember, but I was hoping you might know the kinds of things Exxon and Chevron and the predecessor companies were doing in the late 80s, 90s, low oil price environment. Mark probably remembers. <laughs> I do, actually. I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah, I was here. <laughs> Mark's old enough. I'm not seeking investment advice, but it's curious how back then the stocks were very resilient to the low oil price environment, and that hasn't been true since 2015. On a side note, I applaud your efforts to inform the general public. I previously worked in the ESG investing arena and think the fossil free investors of the world, for most part, are huge hypocrites, as you've pointed out on the show. I think ESG, the discerns between good players and bad players in an industry, is very viable, but raising the cost of capital for energy companies eventually translates to high energy prices, which makes a huge impact in the lives of low-income families globally. I think if you're fortunate enough in life to have money to invest, also feel free. You need to realize that you probably fly more, drive more, and consume vastly more plastics and electricity than the rest of the world. If you can't adapt your own life to using less fossil fuels, you should impose that on someone who can afford to absorb the price increases and who already has a tougher life than yours. Sorry for the rant, but you're doing God's work. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, Doug. Yeah, thanks, Doug. It's back to your question. I love Mark. Take that one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the answer actually really, Douglas, is actually the shale revolution. So back in the 80s and even in the 90s, the U.S. was the largest consumer, but we imported a lot of crude. So the reason the stock stayed more or less stable is the world knew that no matter what the prices were, the U.S. still needed to burn about 20 million barrels a day. Since the Shell Revolution, we produce a lot of our own crude. And so that's why the stocks swing back and forth so far, especially with the super majors. There's just more uncertainty in the market. But good question. And thanks for understanding the reality of what the oil and gas industry does. This is really cool. Yeah, it's also funny that ESG hasn't been brought up once since the entire world is kind of in shambles right now. So what do you think Greta's doing? I have no clue what Greta's doing. <laughs> Probably should, should go back to school. All right, up next, we got a question from Daniel, who's a subsea integrity engineer. He writes, why didn't you apologize for making a mockery of coronavirus on your previous show? Love the show, guys. Keep it up. I'd like to give you some Australian industry updates when you get a chance. We're the biggest gas exporter, I believe, but don't get that much of a mention. So you're right. 
I made fun of the coronavirus, and I still hold by that it's not as dangerous as everybody says it is, but it shut the world down. So I didn't had no clue that it was going to become this big, that it was had this big effect on both our economy, travel, people's fear and uncertainty. I was completely wrong with that. So right, I, I'm apologizing right now for making a, mocking the coronavirus. Still don't think it's as dangerous as everybody says it is. Yeah, I'm glad we took the precautions that we've done. And you know, I honestly at first wasn't taking it as seriously as I probably should have. But considering I've got a two year old and my wife's pregnant, and apparently everything that I've seen, there's really not a whole lot you can do for pregnant women who get the coronavirus. So we have been 100% quarantined this entire time. So, yep. Probably should have uh, exact right thing for you to do. Probably should have taken a little bit more serious, but you know it's also this is unprecedented. We've never experienced this really in our lifetime on this scale, so uh, it's a learning experience for all of us. I'd love for you to reach back out because Australia is one of the largest, not the largest gas exporter now. That's that whole project that Chevron kicked off what fifteen years ago. I would like to learn more about that because one of our future podcasts is actually an LNG podcast, and that's definitely right in your sweet spot. So, Daniel, if, if you get some time, reach back out to me. Let's let's have a little discussion around this. All right. We got a question from Ali, who is an applications manager at Technip FMC. Everybody says, hey, Mark, I, I heard the latest episode of your Rolling Gas This Week podcast and was certainly bummed to hear that the 200th episode was not going to happen at our Grimp campus. It's pretty awesome that we would open the campus up like that. It's also too bad to hear that Jake is leaving the show, but it begs the question, what are you planning to do next with the podcast? I'm sure you have plans for the next step, but if you're looking for another co-host <laughs> at some point, I thought I'd throw my name out there for consideration, Winky Face. In any case, I'm looking forward to our meeting once all the social distancing stuff is over. It's so funny, Jake. So I know Ali, I know, I know a whole bunch of people over at Technique FMC. But the funny thing is, Jake, I didn't put all the notes in here about people wanting your spot. <laughs> I only put the ones that I thought were good. We had so many people, and it was really funny because the conversation was basically, oh, I'm so sorry Jake is leaving. Can I have a spot? <laughs> it's like nothing in between. So, Ali, you would have made a great – You're cutthroat, man. You're just coming <laughs> for it, huh? Yeah, like you're not even gone yet. No. <laughs> just like, yeah, um, yeah, 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 we'll take the spot. <laughs> but Ali, you would have made a great co-host. Unfortunately, we already have somebody pegged for that. Paige Wilson's actually going to take Jake's place. She's part of the existing crew. It's going to be easy for her just to step in. Not that anybody can replace Jake, but Ali, you and I will talk. We, we got plans, you and I, on something with OGG, and we just got to figure out where that is. Okay, this is going to be a good one, Jake. I've been waiting for this the whole show. All right. So we have a question from Lodvik Hoff from Hoff Profit. I think his first question was trying to pronounce my name. And so he actually attached an audio file to allow me to practice that. So I hope I did that correctly. And so his second question is, what is the best and worst experiences in the past four years? I'm not really sure why I chose poor four years. Maybe it was because... I think he's talking about on the show. Because I think oh, you've been... Best and worst yeah. experiences. Oh, man. I can't really think of any bad experiences, to be honest with you. There was a time that we went to, was it Wyoming? And Paige got you hung over and we had to get up the next day and record a podcast. We went to Wyoming? Was it, no, what, was it Wyoming? Where it was, was that? Wyoming. It was somewhere. It's Oklahoma? Mm, maybe it was Oklahoma. I, don't, I think it was Oklahoma. Yep, it was Oklahoma. Yeah, we went to the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. We all drank at the uh, hotel bar a little bit too late and then had to do a podcast in the morning. Some of the best experiences, I think some of the traveling podcasts have been just a lot of fun. I really enjoyed speaking in front of a lot of different people and just really getting to connect with a lot of you guys, whether that be at different organization events, whether it be at various schools. We had actually like four different speaking gigs lined up. Obviously, Ollie was talking about one of those before coronavirus really you know, took over the world. 
And I was really bummed about that, actually, because there was a lot of things that I wanted to do. You know, one of the schools that I wanted to speak at was Texas A&M. For those of you who don't know, I grew up in, in College Station, but I actually never went to the university. And so that was kind of like a, like a dream of mine to be able to do that. So I think that could possibly take the take the cake for one of the worst, just by the fact that the coronavirus took over and, and kind of took that away. So I'm hoping to, to check that box one day still. But, you know, the last four years have been great. You know, it's been, we've had a great time. It's been a good time. We've gotten to travel and a lot of free traveling, (laughs) you know, (laughs) getting to, getting to see places that I'd never been before. And, you know, it's been a lot of fun. So, and we've met so many cool people, right? It's just awesome that we have listeners all over the world. His next question is if you would put 50,000 euros right now into the oil and gas industry with a long strategy, 10 years plus horizon, what type of oil and gas firm would you go for? Would it be exploration, the majors, super majors, supply, consultancy, transportation, and why? I'm going to do a write-in option just for me because it's something that if I'm going to invest that kind of money, I like to have a little bit of control. And this may come as a surprise to a lot of people, but I actually don't play in the public markets very much. It's something I want to change, but I'm very much somebody who likes to have some sort of control over these types of things. And so I would put it into a startup or maybe two different startups and just write some angel checks, but then offer my expertise and my network to these startups to try to protect my investment. I think that's the one thing that I have that a lot of people don't is I'm able to see kind of early stage start, especially in the oil and gas industry, and really can, I think, early on pick out the the horses that are going to win, if that makes sense. So great questions. I'm not going to try to pronounce your name again, because I'll probably butcher it the second time around. Next question is from Donna, who's an HR specialist. I've been a big fan for years, and I've listened to every episode, even back to the James Hahn days. Wow, that's that's some dedication. That's a lot of episodes. Jake, I hate to see you go, but you've really found your calling as a co-host of the show. Your different take on things compared to Mark is always interesting and often entertaining. You two have such great chemistry. But I realize that things change. So here's my question. What are your goals with Digital Wildcatters and how can your fans from the show support you? Mark, I hope that's okay to ask. <laughs> you too can take it out. It's not cool. Love you both. Well, thanks, Don. I really yeah. appreciate it. I'm going to use an analogy here. So if you don't know what Barstool Sports is, I would go look them up. It started off as kind of like a satire blog and now they've kind of actually grown into like a legit brand. I feel like with Wildcatters, we kind of accidentally kind of became like the Barstool Sports of kind of like oil and gas and, and kind of our own little personal brand and spin on things. And I think what we want to do is I love the oil and gas industry and that's always going to be where the bulk of my my work and stuff is, but I would love to branch out and do a lot more content around just general tech in general. And so that's really where we want to take things. And so I just want to, I've absolutely fallen in love with creating content, whether that be podcast or, or video pieces or writing blogs or vlogging, things like that. And so a lot of people probably don't realize this, but for the last eight years, I've always had multiple irons in the fire that I've been actively involved in. And so for the first time really ever over the last month, you know, we, we finally, you know, I exited actively all the companies that I was involved in with the exception of Wildcatters. And now 100% of my mind share is going into that. And so it was an experiment for me to see, you know, what could I possibly do if 100% of my attention was focused on just one thing. And I will say over the last month, month and a half, that that's really been my focus is that I've tapped into a new level of creativity that I haven't felt since I was probably in my teens. You know, those days where I sat in my room and I was obsessive about certain things that I wanted to create, whether that be music, a lot of people don't know that, but I, I played in a bunch of bands like in high school and college. And I feel like I've revived that part of me and I feel more alive than I felt in a long time. And so, yeah, I just want to create things. I'm a very creative person. And so I think an emphasis on telling the stories of founders and entrepreneurs and startups, you know, across various industries, not just the energy industry. It sounds like a lot of fun to me. 
you know, so doing a lot of this more short form content. I would even like to take on some projects eventually of even producing some some full length movies. Probably the first one I think is going to come in the form of, you know, probably some mini documentaries. And then maybe we've got one idea for an actual full length documentary lined up. And I'm really excited, to be honest with you. I've never been more excited in my life. Obviously, it's, it's kind of a weird time for me to be excited because of everything that's going on in the world. But nevertheless, I think the future is bright. And like I said in the last show, I'm eternally grateful to Mark and the rest of the OGG and crew for this opportunity. You know, it's been a hell of a, you know, three, three and a half years, however long it's been. So hopefully that answers your question, but you know, I'm not going away. I'm still creating a ton, actually more content. So you can follow me, connect with me wherever, and really appreciate not just your support, Donna, but everybody who's listening. So last question is from John, who is a project manager. He writes, Jake, are you crazy? <laughs> leaving the top oil and gas podcast in the world sponsored by a Fortune 500 company. Dude, roll an eye's face. All joke can decide at which you most success with digital wildcatters. Mark, do you need a new co-host? Just saying, you didn't even space those sentences out. Like those sentences. <laughs> and <laughs> John, funny. I'll give you the same answer I gave Ollie. We already have a new co-host lined up for this show, but I do appreciate you reaching out. Everybody else that basically sent me the same message. I'm sorry I didn't include y'all in here, but Jake and I would be on the microphone for an hour and a half talking about why we don't need new co-hosts. So I just left a couple of them in here. But you know, Jake's going on bigger, better things. Go make sure you go check him out at digitalwildcatters.com. And, you know, if you enjoy him here, you're going to enjoy him over there as well. So, you know, it is funny, though, Jake, a number of people that, hey, Jake's leaving up. Can you have his plot? Just it's funny. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that wraps it up. So you guys know where to find me moving on. But Mark is going to go on and continue to do great things with the show. So please still tune in and listen to all of that because Mark's got infinite wisdom for, for days. You know, I don't know if I have infinite wisdom for days, but my hair's getting so long, I'm starting to look like one of those crazy old men. <laughs> got to get a haircut. Speaking of got to get a haircut, not that it's a good segue, we're still giving away these awesome shirts that IBM's putting out. It's really easy to win. You go to the show notes, click on the link and enter. If you don't win this week, you can enter every week. The shirts have a unique serial number. And we were actually supposed to give away something really cool on this show based on that unique serial number. And darn it, IBM's busy. Their medical side and their AI side is busy tracking this coronavirus and often doing research for free to help them come up with cures and vaccines and stuff. So they weren't able to get back to me with what we're going to give away, which is, you know what, in this crisis, it's okay. We'll give it away later. But I really want to do it because Jake was here and it was his last show, but it's just not going to happen this show. I don't even want to go to the rig count, Jake. I don't even want to know what it is. We're going to skip that. Street team. I've had a bunch of people reach out to me lately about the street team. It's easy. Go to Facebook. Just search for OGG and street team. Join. We got some cool swag. Get to join us at our at conferences when they, they ever start again and be part of our press crew if you're in your local area. And then the monthly email newsletter that goes out hasn't went out because there's no events going on. But if you want to know about future events, it's free. Go to the show notes, click on that link, sign up. Jake, are we still, you're not going to be part of my, our speaking team anymore, are you? Like you can go off on your own. Yeah. Sometimes peacocks just got to fly. You know? <laughs> yeah. So if you want Jake to come speak, and he is phenomenal, reach out to Jake. Go to digitalwildcatters.com. I'm sure there's a contact page there. And reach out to Jake. And if you want me to come speak, let me know. Now, we can't do it while the whole world is shut down. But once things get back to normal, I would be happy to come talk to you. First Friday Q&A, same thing, just like this one. If you have a question you want to ask us, go to allandgasthisweek.com. Click on Ask a Question. And if we use your question on air, you get a big shout out. While you're there, go ahead and give us your email address. And then join our LinkedIn group. I don't know what it's up to. It's some crazy number, but Tim and Alex have blown that thing up. And it's really good because they moderate everything. So there's no spam on it. Damn, Jake, this really sucks. I mean, I'm going to miss the bejeebies out of you. You've been a part of, of what we're doing for so long. And I know you're going to bigger, better things. And I know you're not disappearing, but I'm really going to miss you, dude. 
really am. Thank you, man. I'm going to miss it too. It's definitely one of those sentimental times, just thinking back all the things that we've been through, all the places that we've been. So I'm definitely going to miss it as well, but I'm not dying. Everybody knows where to find me. You included, Mark. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure right, so for the around town. Yeah. So for the last time with Jake, remember folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Hi, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So obviously we are in... Uh, unprecedented times right now and have been unable to carry out our last couple of happy hours that we had scheduled for last month. We have chosen to delay them and we'll continue to update you on when exactly we will be able to have those events again. Obviously, we're following along the recommended guidelines of the CDC and the World Health Organization. So we're really looking forward to seeing you and we're hoping that these events are going to happen sooner rather than later. But for now, stay tuned and we will keep you posted on those dates. Also, just want to say thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to Oil & Gas Global Network. We are fortunate to already have been a virtual company before the coronavirus and all of these issues started plaguing various countries. And we just want to continue bringing you guys the best information and to the best of our ability, keep you informed, especially while everyone is at home or at least most more people than ever before are at home. So we just would like to thank you for continuing to tune in and continuing to listen. And we hope that everyone is staying safe and we wish everyone the best. And thanks again. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.